for comedy clubs, you need to crush because it makes your your artistic stuff better. Because if you can do artistic stuff and crush, amazing. And if you can crush and do a little bit of art in it, like just a little tiny bit, people who love, who are there just for comedy, will get their comedy. And people who want something more, even if they don't know it, the people who want a little bit of art in their comedy, they're going to leave happy too. Welcome to the Underground Comedy Podcast with Sean Joyce. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com. Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking us out. If you're in the D.C. area this weekend, we've got D.C.'s Best Showcase at Big Hunt and Marina Franklin at D.C. Draft House. On Saturday night during D.C.'s Best Showcase, Sarome Russell will be recording an album. Sarome is a regular at Big Hunt and a true crusher. So if you want to be there for his recording, definitely check it out. You can get tickets and info on the website. Our guest this week is Alex Edelman. Alex is a great comic who is known for his three critically acclaimed one-person shows. In this episode, Alex talks about starting stand-up as a teenager, the difference between his solo shows and performing in comedy clubs, and the two fundamental components that all other aspects of comedy can be grouped into. I started going to comedy open mics and starting a comedy, I guess, when I was 16, 17. And I wasn't a comedian I would describe as worth watching until I was 24. Yeah. So that's a lot of time. That's eight years in between. Uh-huh. And, and, and by the way, there were, like you say, there were, uh, the, it was terrifying. But, you know, I hadn't done a late night set till last year. Yeah, right. That's true. And so it, I do believe it takes you a long time to get there. But the thing is... Um, I would have rather started early than late for one reason, which is that I love stand-up comedy. And I think my life has been vastly improved and enriched by my time spent in comedy clubs and with comedians. And there's no one I'd rather hang out. And to me, all comics are kind of the same. Like, I love hanging out with... I feel the same way. Oh, established comics. Honest, like, when I was down at Big Hunt last night... I was just, but and I was pretty tired because it was a little, you know. I took a red eye here. Okay. So. So you didn't sleep well. I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep well. I slept on the plane, but, but I was just so uh, thrilled to be around, you know, like twelve, fourteen comedians I didn't know, mm-hmm. and to get to watch a whole bunch of new comedians to sort of be immersed in a new thing. Like that's why I started comedy because it was so fucking foreign to me. Yeah. And so I got to be immersed in this very new experience and loved it. And so last night was that, too, when I I dropped in a big hunt late. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, I also feel like um, those clubs where it's not about credits, where it's just can you go up and kill is the most pure, fun form of comedy for me. Because, you know, you get different pleasures out of different sets. Like, I love doing a longer set where I can stretch out and drop a bunch of new stuff in or... But also be like, okay, well, now I'm going to do this joke from 2015 that kills. Yeah. Now I'm going to do this joke that's a few weeks old that I'm really excited about. And you get all the different experiences. But there is something fun about the seven-minute set where they just go, all right, fucking show me your seven right now. Show me your – pull pull it out and show me what you got. Right. And so there's – and so it was cool to watch that at Big Hunt last night watching comics. Yeah, it's supposed to be fun. You know, that's the idea. But don't you think, though, for a new comedian – I think new comedians sometimes – um, I would make mistakes early now or watch people make mistakes that I didn't make, at, you know, mm. because or that I don't make now because uh, like in a seven minute set, I won't talk to the crowd. 
because mm-hmm. I've only got seven minutes. Yeah. So I'm doing my best shit. There's nothing else that will let me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to riff with you. Yeah. So I'm here to, with my pre-planned seven-minute stuff. I'm not going to talk about how the set I'm currently doing is going. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not going to take away anything. Mm-hmm. From that and that's stuff that you learn early, so you might as well learn that when you're 20 as opposed yeah. to when you're 32. Yeah, yeah, I think I don't know. Yeah, you know, uh, it that's an it's interesting because the two weeks ago, Chris Estrada was here mm-hmm. and he was talk- talking about uh, about how much people talk to the, the crowd on stage at Big Hunt in a positive way or in a, a positive way, way yeah. And I think I understand exactly what you're saying. I think that for a lot of those comics who live here and they're performing at Big Hunt four or five times a week, um, you know, for years, there's they're on that stage a lot. And sometimes I mean, sometimes they're performing three times a night there. Great. And so I think that part of it is that they know exactly what they can get from certain jokes in that room. And when they don't get it they will try to manipulate the audience to get them into a place where they can get the reaction that they want. That's extremely smart, and that's very savvy. But I also think, you know, when I was 18, I spent a year living in Israel, Mm -hmm. and there was a small comedy club that was opening while I was there. Literally Mm -hmm. helped them open the club. One of the, you know, founding people of this club was helped put the bar together, all that shit. And because of that, it was going up, you know, five, six times a week. Right. And it was great. Because I needed that stage time and it yeah. moved me along. Stage time is all young comics or new comics need. Stage right. time, stage time, stage time, stage time. But it was a challenge. It was a writing challenge. It was a crowd work challenge. It is input, like, you know, you need to use all that stage time. Like Gary Goldman or other comics that I admire spend a lot of time doing the homework off stage. And some comics aren't homework guys, but like. I'm very much a guy who sits down with a notebook and parses what I did yesterday, even if it's one new line, because mm-hmm. maybe that new line opens up a whole vein. All you do with, with your sets are panning for gold. You're just panning for whatever mm-hmm. the next big bit might be. Right. So so I I don't often talk to the audience because it, it's unlikely that I'm going to get some gold out of that. Like, mm-hmm. like my your job is to entertain and to grow. Mm-hmm. As a comic, those are your two things. So, like, I don't talk to audiences much because I'm going. If, if I'm if I'm trying material and it's not working, then then okay, I'll just try better material or I'll try material that I know always works. And that's a bit of a shame. That's a bit of a failure as a set. But my first job is to entertain, so mm-hmm. I gotta do that. But my second job is to to grow as a comic. So, for me, talking to audiences. I don't know. If I do an hour in a comedy club, I almost always talk to the audience at least a little bit because mm-hmm. they want to, you know, they want to address them over an hour. But right. But mostly, what did Chris say? Oh, he he was just saying that he was comparing it to comedy in in L.A. and how so a lot of times comedy in L.A. not like very experienced people. Now he's talking about more of like the the younger comics who, who have not been on TV yet. Sure. Um, how it's like very performative and it's uh can be what what i notice when younger comics from la come to dc and they perform at big hunt is that they're very detached from the crowd they're kind of they're performing their set but they're not connecting with the crowd and they tend to bomb a lot sure and uh whereas comics from new york is a little bit different i think they're a little bit 
more used to the type of audience that's at Baycon and they're able to connect better. Um, so I think Chris was impressed with the way that the comics were able to transition out of jokes and make comments to the crowd and, and connect with them and then get back into their material. So last night, I mean, I talked to the crowd at Big Hunt, mm -hmm. but there's a like, but I always use it as a way to hook into a joke. Like, sure, sure. Like I'm trying this new bit about the guy who um, did Free Solo. Yeah. Alex Honnold. So yeah. has anyone seen Free Solo? And a woman went, no. And it was great because I was able to do the bit to her for the rest of the audience. Yeah. I was like, if you haven't seen Free Solo, it's about this guy who climbed the northern face of Al Capitan using nothing but his fingernails and his borderline autism. Uh -huh. And then there's stuff off that describing the guy. And by the way, I haven't seen Free Solo. Yeah. Just the pesty shit I get from the culture around it. Right. So that's what it's about. But I talk to the like you have to deliver part of being performative, though, is delivering your bits for the audience. Mm -hmm. Some audience is like, I get the thing about New York and L.A. because I'm a New York guy who's living in L.A. for right, a minute. Right. I'm living in L.A. while I, I do some TV writing. So I'm there. But like. Yeah, I feel that L.A. comics are very detached because L.A. crowds um, suck. Yeah. LA crowds are filled with bad right. people. Right. Like they're never fun, raucous audiences. Right. Except for Hot Tub at the Virgil or in a couple of other indie shows. Like, yeah, there's definitely good shows there. Yeah, but uh, for the most part, people in LA are not good. Most right. LA people will freely tell you that LA people suck. Right. And I and I do believe that there is something to that that people in Los Angeles are not for the most part like cuz everyone's in a Copernican way at the center of their own solar system. For sure. So, so it's hard to sit down and watch someone else be the center of attention in LA, a city that is predicated on where, you know, the world being a biopic with you as a yeah. star. So it's, it's a real, uh, it's a real different thing. Whereas in the East coast, I think there's a sense that we're all in this grand game together and we, you know, you've got to hustle and make enough money to drink at the same bars and, yeah, like, yeah. you know, like it, it's a, di it's a weird different life. Right. So, so yeah, I, I do think, but there's a way of doing your style of comedy to an audience and making their time and yours worthwhile. So for right. the most part, I don't really talk to the audience. Right. You know, D has your style changed over time? Since to totally. So what was it like when you started out? Um, very written, uh -huh. um, not great performance. A lot of, uh, my, I wasn't clear. I wouldn't enunciate. Mm -hmm. I mumbled a lot. Yeah. My pacing was bad. My writing was a little bit basic. I was a little bit of sort of like a New York comedy club pastiche, like a bit of a bully. Oh, really? Yeah, like not on stage, not off stage, but on stage, my stuff was was, you know, I started as a bad comedian even when I was competent. I was I was competent in 2010, 2011. I was doing well, uh -huh. but I wasn't a good comedian. Why, why, why would you say what was bad about it? Um, the material was pretty hacky. Okay. Looking just back, I just stopped. My topics were hacky. I, I wouldn't do anything I did in 2010 on stage now. Yeah. I am embarrassed, embarrassed by, by the material or was the it, material. Was it like a very structured jokes or was it storytelling? I think some of it was structured jokes. Some of it was storytelling. I was good for my age. Right. But it wasn't, there wasn't a ton of, and I would occasionally kill. Or but you, mu kill. you must have got positive feedback. Were you I getting got positive feedback? Yeah. I also got a lot of negative feedback. I would, uh, I was finding it hard to find stage time or I would bomb or uh, not often bombing, but with the same material doing okay. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my comedy just felt a little uninspired. 
and and now over the years comics you know the thing is i find different comedy inspirations like the only comic that i admired when i started that i still admire the only two comics are regan and gallman really brian regan gary gallman the rest of my tastes have kind of dropped off okay i mean i still admire emo phillips and stephen wright to be fair but like you know my comedy is sort of not like them Mm-hmm. My comedy is right, very no, different from emo or, no, no, or yeah. Stephen Wright. So, so I guess when I started, I was a certain way. But you know, that's how about you? When you started, what were you were you know, were you writing one liners? Were you doing? I was like, uh, I was like very Mitch Hedberg like on stage because because I was like completely uncomfortable. I was like so nervous that it just made me that way. Like I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't necessarily trying to act like him, but it just. I was that's what came out oh my god and uh but it was uh you know i would get some laughs so Great. i got uh that that kept me going and then i uh and then i gradually at once i got more and more comfortable on stage you know then i st- stopped looking at the ground started looking out at the crowd you know was not visibly nervous anymore could enunciate could talk conversationally you know so that was really what developed my jokes c- continued to stay very like rhythm based and structure sure. based. um same so uh i never really went beyond that i did then i like i started hosting all the time and would did tons of crowd work but i never got to the point where i was going back and forth with incorporating crowd work with my material yeah i i genuinely think that what I did was I took all my favorite comics and tried to blend them into. Yeah. Like, by the way, I say I don't do crowd work. A lot of my stuff is predicated on a little bit of engagement with the crowd. Yeah, but I don't know that I wouldn't necessarily call that crowd work. No, no, I know. But but the comics that I saw engage with the crowd, I went, I'll have that. Uh-huh. And the comics that I saw that do rhythm-based stuff, I'll go, I'll do rhythm-based stuff. Right. And a lot of my stuff is anecdotes that's sort of crowded with one-liners. Yeah. So I don't know what that is. Probably Gulmany. Or, yeah. but like that's what I that's what I like. It's is really it? I, I think, in a lot of ways, that's really what, uh, as far as you can kind of push comedy, really is anecdotes with with just tons of jokes inside them. I love doing those. those I think that's the, the best kind of comedy. Really, it's it's fun, but it is a blending of styles. Like I love sure. when you said Mitch Hedberg, my heart did a little flutter. I was like, oh, Mitch Hedberg, and we were talking last night about Dimitri Martin. Yeah, who those you are the, love and open mm-hmm. for and stuff like. Yeah, David Tell I loved. Oh, so good. I love Gaffigan and, and David Cross. Those are like the people that I listen yes, to. Yes, David mostly. Cross, man. You know, when I was starting political comedians, even though I'm not political, right. or I wasn't political, I am a little bit political. Patton Oswalt, just the specificity of Patton's bits. Yeah. Even, even bits that had usual premises that jokes were so unusual. I'm still recording. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Comedy is so great, man. Like, I love... And by the way, my favorite comics are not famous. My favorite comics are not famous comedians. Who are they? I love... Uh, I mean, Gary Gullman. Uh-huh. He's respected, but he's not like a fucking huge... Yeah. Well, maybe this special will change Maybe this it. special will change that. Regan is someone who is, yeah. who is beloved, but not, you know, a huge, huge star. No, not at all. And so, like, those guys are guys that I... And my even guys that were sort of casual favorites when I was growing up, like Tom Shalou mm-hmm. or um, Don Gavin, 
who's a Boston area guy. No, no, nobody would. Or Tony V, who's another Boston area guy who's a great, and you, you know you should look into if mm-hmm. you have the time. But like, there, Bobcat Goldthwait, um, Dana Gould. Yeah, yeah, like Dana Gould is one of the best comedians. No one respects Dana Gould the way he should be respected. He is. Have you ever seen him? No, no, not live. I've it's seen. I mean, great. I was. I've seen Dana Gould on TV like my whole life. Yeah. Like, growing up, I used to see him all. He was like, you know, you would see Mark Maron and Dana Gould and uh, sure. Paul Poundstone, and uh, and and even uh, Gallman was on TV back yes. then. Yes, but Jake Johansson's Jake another Johansson, one. Jake Johansson, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is he a DC guy? I don't. I thought he was from Boston. Is he not? I don't think he's from Boston. I don't know where he's from. He's so lovely and cool. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, and um. I really think he's just. I think he's just the best. But you know, uh, uh-huh. I'm a. I'm a big. I'm a big fan of of those guys. And also, there are younger guys that I love. Like Chris Fleming really makes me laugh. My buddies Jack Knight, Moses Storm, uh-huh. Sam J. Sam J was dude, just here. Dude, she's great. Uh huh. So good. And Mulaney's my favorite. Of you know, my favorite comic working right now. And Berbiglia. Yeah, like sure. those are two great DC guys. But like, you know. <laughs> I really think that that I don't like. Sometimes I think, well, it's a, maybe if I start a comedy later in life, I'd have a bit more to talk about. But I also don't know what I'd be doing if I wasn't doing stand up. I really love stand up comedy, and sometimes the people that I connect most with in real life or online are people who tweet at me or Instagram message me or come up to me and go, "Oh man, this comic is so great." You know, like I love people who love stand up and. And like this is such a crazy job to be able to be able to do. So what are you saying when you say people tweet at you or they come up to you after show? People come up to me sometimes and just want to chat about stand up. They're stand up fans. I always love that. I never. My least favorite compliment is, "Oh, we don't really go to comedy shows." Yeah, sure. But, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, like, yeah. bro, that was dot dot dot. You know, like, right. Last night, someone came up after the shows and was like, "Man, we don't really go to shows." So we talked a lot through the second, sh- you know, through the. I was like, man, you yeah, suck. People don't understand. That's fine. Every crowd's got two people in it that don't yeah, really do yeah. st- But then there are some stand-up fans, and I know it because I'll do a joke. I try to keep my material very much off. I try to have jokes that are on. Once I do a joke on the internet, I consider it burned. So okay. most of my stand-up is stuff that is not. Burned in the sense that you wouldn't do it live anymore? I try, not, I try to do it live less. Okay. You know, I have a joke that I did on. I don't do much of the material that I've done on like Conan and when I'm in England, I have an hour long special there called okay. Live from the BBC that aired on the BBC a, a couple times and is on like Netflix International. So I don't do any of that material, but occasionally I'll do a joke that like is a deep cuts YouTube joke. Mm-hmm. And people like, I can see people in the audience like going, oh yeah, like this is, and I'm like, oh man, you guys must be real stand up fans yeah. if you're like, if you know the weird. I, when I'm watching a comic and they do, they do material that I've seen like on a late night set. It does not bother me. No, of course not. Like if it's all material that I've heard before, then totally. it's not great. Well, also, but if you, it's if it's just a couple, also you, I, I kind of like do, it sometimes. You gotta do the hits. Yeah, yeah, right. You gotta give the audience a really good show. Right. So I do a mixture of stuff that I think is good, but then there's like I have a joke about working at KFC and I've done it. I've just done it for too long. I started doing it in 2013. Yeah. I did it on Late Night last year. That's five years. That's that's a lifespan of a joke. That's yeah. It. And we're, we're done with that one. So did you have like a, was there a turning point where you, where there was like a big change in your comedy or was it just a gradual evolution? Yeah. It, as I guess as like, 
Hemingway would say about going bankrupt. It happened gradually and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. which is like, um, I was really, um, I, I, I had a sense that the comic that I was wasn't a very good comedian, even though I was starting to do a little bit better. Yeah. And I was getting some options and opportunities, the opening for Goldman occasionally or Jeff Ross or somebody like that, but. Just just not fantastic. Just sort of an okay comic. Yeah. But um, I went to England for my last semester at NYU. I was supposed to go to Australia, but they canceled the program. And, and oh, the England changed your life forever. Well, yeah. The English program was... The program in England was a little more expensive, and I was fucking stressed about that. But I, I got to do it. And then I saw... There's a comedian there named Josie Long. who's mm-hmm. really funny. She's British. And... She's fabulously, lavishly talented, and she does very unconventional stuff. And she's not for everybody, by the way. She's Mm -hmm. like, she does stuff about the most unconventional things you could possibly imagine. She does show her show. Her solo shows are called Try Harder or Romance and Adventure. Like she does like positive comedy. Okay. And I did one of her nights and I she hosted a night called Lost Treasures of the Black Heart at a venue in Camden in London called the Black Heart. And I showed up. I had been recommended, and I did my sort of basic set and did did pretty well. And I came off stage like, yeah, I just did all right. And then she came up to me. She's like, hey, you know, you don't have to do that kind of stuff. Hmm. Like, she was being polite, but basically she was like, you're not good. Like saying, like... Uh you like it seems like you think you're you're obligated to tell these hacky jokes to make people laugh. Yeah, you can talk they, about what you're interested. Exactly. in. Exactly, dude. That is like, Sean. That's like exactly the perfect way to put it. That's what she did. She was like, "This bit is a little bit hacky. You don't need to do that." Right. Yes. You and you know a lot of times you just need somebody to tell you that. Like I had I had a, a younger comic mm-hmm. just tell me that one of my jokes was hacky. Sure. Which is like that. Which is like you know. I'm a lot, I'm, you know, I had a lot more experience than them at the time and I uh, had way more material than them. And I was, you know, I felt fine about it, but I, it's like, if it's borderline, if it's borderline hacky, then, then maybe I should just get rid of it, you know? Yeah. And you know, someone saying that to me was huge. So I went back the next week with some new material that wasn't great, yeah. but was something and it did all right. Sitting down, da- I remember sitting down at a desk to write it. Uh-huh. And I think that's an underrated part of stand-up is sitting down to write material on a piece of paper yeah, and, and seeing how it goes, especially if you already have the premise, just trying to work out the lines. And some comics are like, I write on stage. And, and I, I guess that's true, but I've always been a guy who really thinks that the elbow grease is such a huge part of this. And and like, you know, the, what's the worst case scenario? You tr- You write too much and only two lines work? Yeah. So I like mean, that just, is what normally happens. That is what normally happens. It's, so it's what's it. going to happen. You know that's what's going to happen. You know you're not going to write three pages of jokes and no. they're all going to work. Of course they're not going to work. But why not just try and and do your best and do as much as you can? Well, because the reason is because uh, you you have to do it. If you don't do it, you won't you won't have any material. Yeah, totally. You won't be able to be a comic. I mean, there are certain people that have enough charisma and natural talent that they can sure, really me. they can get away with just winging it i'll tell you that's not me man i'm not right. i'm not that good i also by the way change every three or four years i change everything well that's good i throw everything out i start i don't start over completely 
but I, I start going, okay, well, it's time for a conscious shift. I will often schedule hour-long shows as work-in-progress shows in various places where I don't know what I'm going to do mm-hmm. and just sort of work work as much Are as you I able can. to get people to come out to watch those shows? Yes. And in, is that just because people who know, know you or and they're interested to see it? In bigger cities, yeah. Uh-huh. England, LA, New York, uh, Boston, hopefully here at some point. Mm-hmm. Like, I love a room with, you know, 25 people, 30 people. Yeah. You know, in there's a place called Leicester in England. And, you know, I'm very serious about doing shows there that people will, you know, come to that are preview shows, previews for mm-hmm. this or that. Yeah. And it's really important to me to be able to do shows that are technically like work in progress shows or shows that are, you know, um, shows that that like uh where people expect me to be there with 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 paper trying new shit and and i do probably 10 or 15 of them just a year yeah and and you know audience and usually they're five pounds or or eight bucks and audiences whatever the exchange rate is always the equivalent of five pounds i guess it's gonna be pretty cheap soon right but uh but yeah people show up and they get 25 and how does that how does that help you um, develop that material compared to if you had say, you know, twenty ten minute sets to work on it versus like two hour long? The sets? audience trusts you. The audience has to trust you, and you can work your way in with a new joke. But like, hey, so say say you know, like you say, you write three minutes of material, and of the three minutes of material, ten seconds of it is good. Uh huh. Or not 10 seconds, three minutes of material, maybe seconds, one minute. Yeah. yeah, one minute is good. 30 seconds, one-sixth of your material. So you do two-hour-long shows. So you walk out of there with, what, 20 promising minutes of right, material? Right. 20 really evergreen promising yeah. minutes. Or you find that only the old stuff you're doing is great, but, you know, the segues in and out of it have promise. Like, right. you just have to be ambitious in terms of... And in you terms can, of scale, you can feel if the whole thing holds together, you know. Yes. Or if it's like, you know, this is really a thin premise for a whole hour. Totally. And the act of me, yes, Sean, that's perfect. Like the act of making it hold together is part of the exercise, also. Like yeah. Making sure that you're watchable for an hour. By the way, you don't have to be funny over the course of an hour. No, that's crazy. But you have to be so watchable. If you're yeah, not yeah, be you funny. just have to be yeah, interesting, captivating. You have to swing for the fences. People need to feel like they get their money, their money's worth. I don't ever want anyone to walk out of a show thinking they didn't get their money's worth. That's so important to me. I feel the most comfortable when I'm presenting headliners that are either just crushers and you just think that's what like they go out they crush every time, or comedians that are interesting. Mm-hmm. They're interesting performers and they're going to be interesting, whether the crowd's rough or they're having a good day or bad day, or whatever. Everyone is going to leave having seen something and you, and they'll feel satisfied. That's totally. So what I always try to do is um, if I do comedy clubs, by the way, it's different. Like the rules are off, like no interesting, like right. interesting if you can. But I fucking go for I go for the throat. You know, I go for I go for the best jokes I've got. Yeah. You know, there are a couple jokes Which is that appropriate. Like, yeah, like I won't do that KFC joke because I've done it too many times. And frankly, if you've seen me live, you've probably if you saw me live between 2013 and 2017. You probably saw it. Mm-hmm. So I don't do that one that much anymore. Mm-hmm. But like I I try to kill like killing is 
Because comedy clubs, they're often not there to see you. Mm-hmm. They're there to see comedy. Yeah, that's so, right. So you you can't be like, well, you have to assume any familiarity. You have to go out and absolutely destroy. Right. And because you need them to come see you the next time. Right. And if they like you that much, they'll follow you. And if, and if they really like you, when you go, hey, I'm trying an hour of new material for $8, they'll be like, yeah, we'll take a chance on this guy. We know he's funny. The whole thing is like, if you just get 25 random strangers in a room and I show up with like eight pages of sweat curled notes, they're yeah. going to be like, who the fuck is this guy? But if they are if they know who I am and they've seen me be funny on something, right. they're going to be like, okay, well, this is going to be the next thing we love or it's going to be funny. You Do you know? think learning how to kill in comedy clubs makes your one-man shows better? A hundred percent. So I think the two things inform each other, the two aspects of, co- like, on one hand, think of comedy as, like, a bit of a yin-yang symbol, mm-hmm. like, and the dark side of comedy is, like, fucking, you know, shiny floor commercial TV sets in front of big audiences filmed for a special, and comedy clubs with chicken baskets, like, the most commercial, hard-nosed non-artistic end of comedy the stuff where you're just like you need a crush because we're selling drinks you right. motherfucker right like that's that's one side of comedy right and then the other side the white side of comedy there's like the anarchist mimes uh the the festivals in foreign countries where people want you to spill your guts and like great concept specials like you know and and not to be like these are soft specials without jokes because they're not but like specials with comics that are truly once in a generation artistic voices so, like, I think the best of each of those things are, like, you know, the yin, right. the yeah. yin has one little bit of yang in it, and the yang yeah, has yeah. one little bit of yin in it. So, like, for comedy clubs, you need to crush because it makes your, your artistic stuff better. Because if you can do artistic stuff and crush, amazing. Right. And if you can crush and do a little bit of art in it, like, yeah, just yeah. a little tiny bit, people who love, who are there just for comedy, will get their comedy, and people who want something more, even if they don't know it, the people who want a little bit of yes. art in their comedy, yeah. they're going to leave happy too. Yeah. Because they've seen a little bit of it. Right. So, like, yes, like, that's the perfect, perfect thing to be like, does stand up, because yeah. my one-man shows are so helped by my club material, because frankly, I put a lot of my club material in my stand-up. I'm really, I'm sorry, in, in my one-person show. shows. Like, I'd say of my one-person shows, 70% of it is stand-up that goes mm-hmm. into my act. And I start with 80, and then I move it down. Like, I excavate and move out the bits that are good but don't work uh-huh. within the context of the show. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So, like, I love that. I love doing all that stuff, but, like, you know... It's, you know, to me, nothing really beats a comedy club. I was going to say, what do you think that one or other of those versions of you, one man show versus comedy club, is a more pure expression Mm. of you? I think I I can get excited for either. Uh Um, I love a comedy club. I also love big hunt style shit. Yeah, I love a show. If I could do a show where there was no credit and no. Because sometimes I'm doing these one-person shows. If I'm doing a long run, this little voice creeps in my head that's like, you're a fraud. People only laughing because they know the show has gotten good reviews. And they want to be, they want to go along with yeah, part of that. They want to go along with whatever's artistic. You're not killing the way that you would kill in a comedy club. And I love Big Hunt because last night I went on a Big Hunt and I was like, I'm just going to 
do my best, the best I can for seven minutes. And mm-hmm. I love that. If you can just go on with no names, no credits, right. and you're just like, bam, 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 bam. And by the way, I think I'm a little bit, if you watch those shows, those seven-minute shows and me doing sets on seven-minute showcases, you'd be like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? Because, like, I yell. I bring, yeah. like, the same. I bring the same energy to all the shows. I bring the same energy to headlining sets that I do to one-person yeah. shows to, like, to like seven-minute showcases. You got I do it right now. That's... Yeah, fuck. I've got the. I've got the. <laughs> put me in, coach. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I think stand-up and comedy clubs is where I grew up. So that's something I always have love for. But, like. I do think that there's um, – I do think that stand-up translates across all those avenues. So I like artistic stuff, and I like the stuff that's not that's not artistic. That's just yeah. like, hey, we're selling, we're selling food and drinks. You better kill. Yeah, yeah. Chloe, who you met earlier, my friend Chloe, is here. And I, she, I know Chloe. Yeah, she was, she was managing – she was my manager at one point. Oh, is she, that right? She, yeah, she was with me in, in Edinburgh. And I won an award there that, you know, and I was like, oh, sick, I'll be a credit. I didn't have any credits. Right. <laughs> and Chloe, sort of being a, like wry, said, oh, you've got the first line of your obituary. Okay. And like, not that there'd be obituary anywhere significant, but if I died, you know, like a comedy website would be like, oh, Edinburgh Award com- uh-huh. winning comedian. Your Alex split cider article. Yeah, my split cider obituary. It's not that. Yeah, it's not your obituary. It's the first. It's your split cider obituary. Yeah. yeah, it's what I think about all, and I think about that all the time. Like, man, it'd be nice to get a better. Oh yeah, but you know, hey, if you were a doctor, they'd be like, doctor, you know, cardiologist. Uh, Lots of people go through their lives without winning any awards at all. It's it's so funny because it really does mean that. That's so crazy. Is that. Is that missed opportunities and pain kicks gotten opportunities and pleasures ass every day of the week in the in your consciousness? Yeah, in your consciousness, you're always like, well, there's no post euphoric joy disorder, uh-huh. right? There's PTSD, but you know, no one's ever like, I'm all fucked up because I got too happy for too long. Yeah, or no one's too, ever too, like, too many good things happened to me at once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sometimes I feel like that's happened to me. Be funny if you walk into a room. I was talking about this yesterday with somebody. It might be a bit at some point, but I don't. I don't think so. I don't. I don't. I can't see where the jokes quite hook in. But if you walk into, if you walk into a room and someone's smiling and you're like, "What's wrong, Maddie?" and they're just like, "Oh, I had a milkshake once in the early 2000s. It was so good." I was just thinking about that. Like, it doesn't really work yeah. that way. So awards are great, but I also think a lot of all the things that you know I missed out on or didn't. Do well what are the things that you feel bad about mm, you know i hung out at various comedy clubs too early yeah so there are some people some bookers who will always think of me as a yeah. certain type of you know comedian which is fine that type of comedian is 18 yeah it's you know? tough yeah yeah so on one hand like the you know i learned how to be a comedian from watching comedians at the comedy cellar yeah but the comedy cellar people and i've never auditioned there will always look at me and go that guy's learning how to be a comedian because that's how that's the context they saw me. Yeah. In. So even after I did, you know, like new faces or Conan or any of the things that, you know, would get a comic from my sort of g- generation of comedians past at the cellar. Mm-hmm. I think that they still probably were like, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe one day. I think if you were living in New York yeah, right uh, now and you were around all the time, you could 
probably get passed. Yeah, I think so too. I haven't lived in New York solidly in probably four years. That's another thing. So that's a big difference. I mean, a lot happens in four years. You that's know. true. You think of, I mean, the growth that you have as a comic, no matter where you are in four years, is a long time. What's your favorite sort of trait in young comedians? Mm, like when you're looking I like for either, potential. I like e- either natural charisma or smart jokes. Sure. Either one. I, I think it's rare for people to come out of the gate with two, with both of those. But there are people that when they talk, it's funny. They have a funny way of talking. And I like that. And like they just kind of have a funny funny way of carrying themselves and then i also like people that are clearly smart and they're writing interesting things off the bat even though they don't know how to write a joke fully they don't know how to perform yet but that's why i like to look to see. i think the second thing is so much more promising than the first thing right yeah like, i think if someone like i saw someone last night have a bad set at big hunt or like they had a set where they were like dealing with the audience instead of doing material and the someone else looked at me like he's a great joke writer and like that carries a lot of weight but if someone's like that dude's a funny guy i'm like it wouldn't count nearly as much i think it's much easier you know it's you know i don't think you can really it's hard to change both of those i was gonna i I don't know which one if it's easier to become you can certainly become a better performer yeah but you can't make yourself like uh i'm trying to think of of a example you have a person like Rory Scovel. Oh, he's so funny. Where it's like, or even Hampton, like. Oh, he's so fucking. Those funny. guys, those guys are just so weird and so funny, and like, you, you can never become like them. I think there's a secret to comedy. I think this is a weird. I'm about to disclose my million dollar secret. Okay, to this comedy. is great. This is perfect. I think there are two aspects to comedy. Okay. Only two, and you can divide any aspect of comedy uh, into these I love two it. things. Content and aesthetic. Okay, yeah. Anything. You can take any aspect of comedy. And is it content? Is it your content? Or is it your aesthetic? Uh-huh. So I love unique content and a unique aesthetic. The two, the best comedians, period, are the comics who have content that matches their aesthetic or mm-hmm. vice versa. Or content that informs an aesthetic or an aesthetic that informs a content and makes mm-hmm. it really specific. So Hampton does material that's really weird and it matches his really weird energy, which creates a really fun time for audience members. Yeah. So I totally dig when you're like, yeah, oh, Hampton's, um, you know, char- charisma. When you say Hampton's a funny guy, I hear like if someone someone said Hampton's a funny guy, I'd be like, that doesn't touch how different and unique Hampton is. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I was just trying to, I mean, I was just trying to think of someone who has that kind of just natural personality that is, is it can't be recreated. You know, it's just, it's just uh, the way that he is. You're right. I know, I know what you mean in terms of, in terms of a, that's, that's really, that's really a, well, a great way of putting it. When, you, when you're looking forward creatively, do you want to try to incrementally improve on, on what you're doing or do you have like kind of, any big visions for different things? I I literally think every two years I throw out everything and start mm-hmm. a, and start a new thing. I've done three solo shows. I did one in 2014. I did one in 2015. I did one in 2018. Between 2015 and 2018, I sort of hey Ryan, I threw everything out and just sort of started uh, started a different thing or just 
So yeah, incremental improvement's good, but like you say, like gra like like Hemingway again, like gradually and then all at once is a really good way of 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 feeling your way towards something and then just throwing it all out. What about in terms of like being a stage performer versus trying to make something like oh. like make content? Mm -hmm. I like big hour long shows. I always think what I that's what I do is big hour long shows, so so I think that probably won't change. But, you know, I, I've been doing some weird stuff. I'm doing a podcast, a true crime podcast that I'm writing. That'll be weird mm -hmm. and different. And um, I think always trying to reinvent whatever you're doing is really useful. But, but yeah, incremental, incremental growth is a, big, is a big, big part of it. Let me ask you a question. Okay. In terms of, like, where do you think people, uh, people's appetites for comedy are headed in terms of, like, what you they know, want from the performer in terms of content? I don't know. I think it's really hard to – I think it's really hard to imagine. I mean, I, I think – you can see the shift for Comedy Central when they're putting out these, they're putting out internet videos. Sure, I love those. Versus, um, you know, they would always package it in a half hour show with a couple five minute sets. That was their old way of doing new comics. And I think that that was a great adjustment and I think it's better to put them on YouTube. Sure. Um, I, I'm curious what's going to happen in terms of uh, if it's just going to keep going further toward the internet and everything is going to be on YouTube and maybe what other whatever other platforms pop up and to see how much co uh, control the um, comics have over what they're making versus how much is going to continue to stay television networks um, and Netflix deciding like, you know, what shows are going to be made and how it's going to go. So sure. I, you know, I, I don't have, I don't know the answer to, to what it's going to be. And I, as far as like what people want on stage, I think you know we're going through. Uh, people are are uncomfortable. Oh, the comedy civil war. And uh, I think everyone's trying to work it out. I watched Bill Burr's special last night. It's great. And uh, you know, I think if you watch that, it's like there's stuff in there to get mad about, and then there's stuff in there sure. that he's reminding you that like he is paying attention to what's going on in the world. He's not. He's not an idiot. He's not. He's not a conservative person. Uh, so. <laughs> I'm I'm a, I think I told you this. I'm actually it's interesting. You know, there's a comedy civil war going on, and I'm actually a general in the comedy civil war. I and just found out. But you, you're I'm on the union on, side. Yeah. You're on the union side, but you yeah. won't say what won't that say, translates to. No, I won't say what that translates to. It. This that you should know. Everyone should know what side the union side is. I mean, it's. I think there's an obvious um, answer to that. I I generally do also, but you know, I'm not going to say which one. I won't comment on what happens in the comedy community because frank like publicly because it's all i'll talk about with comedians we'll talk about it constantly but um frankly it's our business and second of all it's beneath us to talk about it publicly whenever i hear you know comics uh, there are a select few that i respect who are who are um who are of the opinion and i will fave their tweets or talk to them about it and sometimes they speak about it really eloquently um but i think generally uh it's not something i talk about i've decided to not not participate in uh, sure. twitter at all yeah that's a really good decision like i read twitter constantly but i won't i don't tweet and i won't fave things anymore sure because i just don't want to be involved in any politics behind yeah. any of it and it's just like 
when people are getting called out for what they like or what they don't like or what they've liked in the past I mean, I understand, you know, if you're liking uh, swastikas and stuff, like, of course, that's I understand why you're getting called out for it. But if you're getting like, oh, you only like this person's post, you don't like this person's post. Or, and it's just like, that's exhausting to me. And I'm like, I'm not going to I'm just not participating. In sure. It at all. I don't. There is a bunch of stuff that I believe in. There's a bunch of stuff I don't believe in. But also that's for my friends. Like, I'm I'm totally. It's exhausting to constantly be. uh and, you know, I just saw someone today, a comic that I really respect, and we were chatting about it. And he was like, I don't, it's beneath us to comment. And I was like, yes, it's what, beneath us to be in that. What do you think about the idea of turning yourself into a brand? I, I don't know, because I think, you know, getting a logo is probably a bit much. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's also like, you know, some people do it. Some people don't. I think there's being specific enough that people love you. That's great. Mm-hmm. Like I open for bands a lot and notice that they cultivate a very specific aesthetic and that's something interesting and unique. I love that. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Turning yourself into a brand. I think it's probably important and essential and not something I'm great at, but cause you have a very artistic sensibility as opposed to a business like sensibility, though you are clearly like ambitious and are able to function in that arena, but you don't seem to be set on building up yourself you're more worried it seems like you're more worried about what you're producing than yeah comedy i really believe that as long as you're like detail oriented but easy to work with and Mm -hmm. you know that's as far as i go on the business side like i i think it's important to care about all the stuff that concerns you as an artist and have people that you work with that you trust although that's not always so easy and sometimes they're irritating but like (laughs) you know you uh just doing the best you can at the artistic side is is really important and uh i agree i mean it's the most important of course right and also people find you and if you're reliable like that's why i that's why i always try to crush in comedy clubs because that's my way of bringing people to my yeah of course you know because like for instance i did zanies in chicago Mm -hmm. and i did it once and it went well enough crowds were fine Mm -hmm. 70 percent and the next time I went back, you know, pe- people, the, the shows sold out. People were selling out shows because, frankly, they just want to see you. If you crush people, always, people will remember it, even if they don't follow you on Twitter. If, if, they, like, if you're out there in their ether and they get a chance to come see you, they'll, they'll do it. So, right. like, so like one, the funny thing is that there, I do one act for the converted and one act to convert people. Yeah, yeah, right. So like, that makes sense, though. Yeah, for the converted, I'm like, here, you trust me, so go with me. For the for 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 the people that are, but it makes are, perfect sense. Yeah, because because yeah. those two groups of people want different things from you. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. So. Well, first group just wants to be entertained. The second group, they want to go deeper. But you better you better be bringing new shit to your second group. Well, because that's the thing. If you if you're gonna go. You know, you're going to try to do zanies every year and you're trying to build up a fan base. Yeah. There. You have to have new stuff. A hundred percent. Otherwise, they can't come back every year. Absolutely. And there's also, you know, but that's the thing. Like if sometimes I do a podcast or something like and 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 people. I always want people to look up my stand. I drive people towards my stand up like mm-hmm. my stand up is my the thing that that I invest the most amount of my time, my most my most effort into. And so like. It's also the thing where it, it's for a general audience, so people, people need to, uh, people need to find me, 
people need to find me that way. And so like when I'm on stage at a comedy club, what better way for people? Like it's my perfect opportunity. It's my opportunity to seize those people. So I've always got to, uh, you know, I've always got to rise to the occasions. Okay, man. Well, uh, I think everything's going good for you, man. And uh, thanks very much for doing it. Dude, it's so fun. Thanks for having place. This place is awesome. If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't been to the Draft House or Big Hunt, then fuck. Thanks, buddy. All right, man. Thanks so much for having me. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com.